a highlight reel of teaching, uh, of preaching, of ministry, and then of course the cross, the resurrection, the ascension, and all that follows. I am so excited about it. It's good to see you, and thank you for all those who had a, had a uh, part this weekend in the uh, renovation and the work at the Mayport campus. It was exciting to see on Friday and Saturday several of our people uh, there as well as other people from other organizations coming to help us together. It was awesome. They got all the pews out. They got all the carpet out in the auditorium. Got the whole children's building uh, uh, painted. They got a, a big tree that was an obstruction to uh, the signage was removed. There was just a lot of great work and uh, so exciting to see that. And uh, I'm glad that many of you were able to join us. And if you can't, if you weren't, and you maybe would like to be involved in the future, uh, there's lots of things that we'll be doing in the future, getting it ready for a launch in early uh, of 2023. So it's exciting. Actually, next Sunday, Aaron's going to move his Bible study to 1030, and they're going to add a little element of worship into that, and they're going to kind of start the beginnings of a regular worship service next Sunday. And it's exciting, isn't it? I mean, a brand new church being birthed right here uh, in Jacksonville through our church, and, and I'm, I'm thrilled about it. So be praying for Aaron and Annie as they uh, start this new ministry and as we labor together with them to make it happen. All right, Luke's Gospel, chapter number 19. We're going to read one of the famous stories in the New Testament. I didn't know this till this week. I don't know why I never noticed it, but this is the only place in the Gospels this story is mentioned. Often this story is a story that is told to children and even complete with the song that was built around this man, Zacchaeus, the wee little man, okay? And, and, and I'm going to refrain this morning. I debated about putting it into the worship set this morning, but I thought that that would be a little elementary. So anyways, let's read the story in Luke 19, beginning at verse number 1. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste. And come down, or I'm going to your, oh, never mind. Uh, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained and said, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Because he also is a son of Abraham, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Amen. This is God's word. I want to preach to you this morning on a big change in a little man. A big change in a little man. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you use the message 
to stir us, to help us to uh, learn about the gospel and more about our Savior Christ and more about his pursuit of and love for people. And may we increase as a church in our pursuit of and love for people is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. From April the 14th to April the 26th, 1865, the U.S. Calvary led a wild 12-day pursuit through the streets of Washington, D.C., the swamps of Maryland, and the forests of Virginia. The assassination of President Abraham Lincoln initiated this 12-day manhunt. In the last three days of the manhunt, April 24th through 26th, they cornered John Wilkes Booth into a farm on a Confederate soldier's sympathetic, uh, a Confederate sympathetic farm ran by the Garrett family. They ended up, after three days of negotiation, setting the barn on fire. And Booth had to exit the barn, of course, and they shot him, and he died just a couple days later. This story is chronicled in an extraordinary book by James Swanson called Manhunt, the 12-day search for Lincoln's killer. Now, historians would tell us that this was one of the largest manhunts in history and certainly maybe the largest in American history. But I got good news for you. The largest manhunt in human history did not take place in 1865 by the U.S. Calvary for John Wilkes Booth. The greatest manhunt in American or world history for that matter actually takes place every single day of the calendar year as God seeks to save those who are lost. Now the story of Zacchaeus is famous, as I mentioned earlier, for its appeal to children and the story that we've often told to kids and their junior churches and their flannel graph boards and the song that we've sung with them for so many years. But I think it's very easy if we're not careful to trivialize this as a child's story when in fact the Zacchaeus story is actually the story of not just children. It's actually the story of every single man, woman, boy, or girl who has ever drawn a breath on this earth as a human. It is a story of God seeking sinners. And that's our story today. And we share something in common with Zacchaeus. We, like Zacchaeus, are lost. We, like Zacchaeus, need Jesus. And thank God we, like Zacchaeus, have been pursued by Jesus Christ. And through what Jesus has done for us on the cross, we can experience the same salvation that Zacchaeus also experienced. And I want you to look at this story again, and hopefully with fresh eyes this morning, and I want you to see our lives through the life of Zacchaeus. And there's three truths that I want to present to you about Zacchaeus that picture our lives today. Number one, very plainly, we are lost. We are lost. And I know that that is not a word that everybody likes to admit. I know that it's very difficult to come to grips with this fact that you are lost. Most people like to view themselves as basically pretty good and basically fairly religious and basically having some knowledge of God. In fact, if you were to look at Zacchaeus, you probably wouldn't think at the beginning that he was a lost man. 
A look, if you will, at verse number uh, at verse number two. Now, behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Now, that phrase, he was a chief tax collector, it was the old word we used in the King James called the publican. And so for many of you, you probably heard for years that the publican means tax collector. But what actually is a tax collector and why is this significant? Well, at this time in Bible history, there was the rule of the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire, led by, uh, of course, uh, ultimately Nero as we get into the book of Acts, but, but was a world power much like Greece. And so Rome not only had authority where they were located over in Italy, but Rome had authority literally over that entire world from Europe all the way over to even Israel uh, on the other side of the Mediterranean Sea. So, so, So Rome was in charge of Israel politically at this time. And because the, 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 the territory was so large and so vast, Rome would set up in the individual towns and provinces, uh, they would set up things like military occupation. You've heard of the centurions. They were, they were, they were Roman leaders of a hundred soldiers. So there was political, uh, there was also military. But here we also find there was financial oversight. So in these provinces like Israel, like Judea, there would have been a, a, a men set up to collect on the enforced tax code uh, that, was, that was there from Rome to the various towns. And so that's what Zacchaeus was. The fact that he was a chief tax collector means that he was responsible for many tax collectors, leading him to an obviously very lucrative career, a man that had a lot of money, had a lot of status, had a lot of things, And we find here that the man had climbed the corporate ladder in Rome. We find that the man was financially very well secure. And you know what, folks? We look at people in our world today, and it's almost like this is the pinnacle of achievement. If you find yourself wealthy, if you find yourself in charge of something, that's kind of like the end of it all for people, at least on the surface. And the sad reality is this, that, that, that Zacchaeus was not lost on the surface. Zacchaeus was not a man who looked like he was lost. If you walked up to Zacchaeus before this story and you would have said, man, you desperately need God, he may have kind of brushed you off and said, man, I don't really need anything. I mean, look at me. Look at my house. Look at my stuff. Look at my family. Look at my clothes. Look at my bank account. I really don't need anything. But I will tell you, When you take a closer look at Zacchaeus, you will find that although he looked very good on the outside, that he kept up the appearances and the images of being okay, the very fact of the matter is this was a man who was very, very far from God. In fact, later on in verse number uh, 8 and 9, or verse 8 in particular, Zacchaeus admits to the Lord That he was not just a tax collector, but in fact, he was a crooked tax collector. He says, Lord, whatever I have taken from people by false accusation, meaning uh, Zacchaeus would lie about customers. He would lie about uh, about, uh, uh, people that lived in certain parts of his jurisdiction, and he would overtax them and pocket money outside of what he was supposed to tax them. The fact of the matter is, he looked good on the outside to everybody else. But on the inside, where God really knew him, he was a liar, he was a manipulator, he was a thief, and this man desperately needed God. And I want to tell you today, this picture of Zacchaeus is true in all of our lives. Church, I got to tell you, 
It is very easy to come to church. It is very easy to look the part. It is very easy to look like things are okay by man's measurement. Hey, I'm doing okay. My Facebook profile looks fine. I'm always posting how positive and awesome things are in my life. When When people ask me how I'm doing, it's always, I'm doing okay. I'm doing fine. My marriage is fine. My kids are fine. Everything's fine, right? But what we find out is if you would be honest with yourself, we find out that we share this one thing in true with Zacchaeus, and that's this. At the end of the day, we are all lost and we all need God. The Bible says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Bible says in Isaiah 59, verse 2, your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear you. Can, Can I tell you some bad news this morning? The bad news is every single person, every one of us, and the preachers, the leaders of the church, all the way down to the person that walked in the door for the first time. Every single person in this room is lost and in desperate need of God. And the truth is, there's only one way to God, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. So without Jesus, you are actually still lost. And here's the bottom line. Nobody likes things that are lost. Man, I told you the other day, I lost my phone and my wallet in the Atlantic Ocean. And that was an awful experience. And of course, I had to go through what everybody has to go through when this happens. Angie so graciously reminded me that that wasn't the first time I had lost a phone and a wallet in a fishing experience, which is actually true. I'm becoming very good at it, you see. Uh, And and so now I'm putting all of my stuff in a dry box when I go out on the boat. Of course, I will never stop fishing. I don't care if I lose a thousand phones, okay? But I just got my, uh, in fact, now I've got the phone here. And Angie, Angie made me, I'm just going to go ahead and say it what it is. Angie made me get a front pocket wallet. And I hate this. You know what this means? This means I've got more things to keep track of now than I did before. And I think her mindset is like, well, at least if you drop your phone in the water again, you're not going to drop your wallet also. Hey, listen, when you go through something like that, that's a huge pain in the butt, isn't it? You got to cancel your card. Payment. Then you got to set up all your auto you know what I mean? All your auto things like Amazon, all these other things that you do. And, and this is probably the 75th debit card that I've owned in the last probably three years, okay? So my life is very complicated. But here's the thing. Then, just the other day, uh, I, I had to go to the gym and Adriana needed something. And so we, we went and I said, Adriana, I'm going to drop you off at Target. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to be back in exactly one hour. Exactly from right here, right now, one hour. It's pretty dangerous probably to leave your teenage girl at Target with your debit card okay for an hour but I was willing to risk it all and I did and I am at the gym Adriana's at Target she had to get a birthday card for somebody she had to I can't remember she always needs to go to Target okay but she she really obviously needed to go and so I said okay here's my card this is what you get and while you're there I'm even gonna I even was graciously willing to let her use my debit card to to buy a drink at Starbucks so she could use my card, and then she could go, and she could get the things that she needed to do, the things I needed her to get. So I am on the stair climber, okay? I'm sweating my guts out. I'm about to probably throw up. I'm, 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 I'm heaving for air. I'm at the end of the workout, and my phone rings, and it's Adriana. I'm thinking, oh, boy, what's wrong here? She calls me, and this is the first thing she says. Dad, don't yell at me. And I'm thinking, well, this is absolutely not good. 
whatever is getting ready to come after this could absolutely not be good if the first thing you said to me was, Dad, don't yell at me. And so I said, what is going on? She said, I lost your debit card. And I thought, are you kidding me? I just got it back. Well, of course, I stop my workout. I run over to Target. I'm mad as a hornet that just had its nest kicked. Okay. I go over there and I'm walking, trying to find her. Can't find her. Oh, lo and behold, when I actually find her, she's still shopping for all the things she was supposed to get because evidently the first hour I sent her there was clearly not enough to pick up a birthday card and the other essential items. But, oh, lo and behold, she had time to get a Starbucks drink and, oh, and she also bought a Starbucks muffin. She didn't ask me about that. So she got a drink and she got a muffin and she had all this stuff going on. And I walk into the card line and she's still there. Not only has she not done what I needed her to do, she also lost my debit card. We traced every step in the store. You know the feeling. I'm in there with my app, my Wells Fargo app, and I'm turning off, I'm turning off my debit card, thinking through all the headache I'm going to have to go through again. I went to the counter, went to customer service, started asking people in the, in the store, asking workers, and it was gone. And I was pretty upset. In fact, uh, in fact, our little ring camera, when I finally got back home, I'm already mad, okay? I'm already mad. And I get back home, and all the doors are locked. I didn't have my key because I was at the gym. I didn't think I needed a key. So now besides being mad at Adriana and losing my debit card, I'm mad because I can't get into my house. And I'm waiting for somebody to unlock the door. And I'm just so frustrated. And the ring camera caught some choice conversation between me and Adriana on the front porch. And I'm just glad those things delete themselves after like 24 hours because it was a pretty rough few minutes with me and Adriana. Thankfully. Thankfully. I said, Adrian, you are going to walk in that house and you're going to call Target and you're going to explain how irresponsible you are and you're going to give them your name and you're going to tell them what your card looks like and you're going to ask them if by any chance they find your card that they are going to call you. And she texted me about two minutes later and said, Dad, they found it. Praise the Lord, right? It saved my testimony. It saved a headache. It saved my relationship with my daughter. I mean, it saved a lot of things. Look, nobody likes to be lost. Nobody likes it when things are lost. But what made matters even worse for Zacchaeus is not only was he lost, he couldn't get to Jesus. He had some obstacles to get him there. Now, the Bible tells us what they were. The Bible says in verse number two, he could not get to Jesus for two reasons. Number one, it was too crowded around Jesus. And maybe that's like somebody in the room, you think, well, Jesus doesn't have time for me. Jesus is too busy, you know, like running the universe and all these other things. He's probably got other people that are more important to him than me. That's not true at all. But in Zacchaeus' mind, he thought, this crowd is too busy. I can't get there. And then, of course, he is short. Now, I identify with Zacchaeus on that level, okay? I'm sure as well. Jesus said in Matthew chapter number six, which of you by taking thought can add one cubit to his stature? That's like my life verse, okay? The fact of the matter is there's nothing he could do about that. He was short. He was stuck. He, it was too crowded around Christ. So what does he do? He runs and finds a way to get to God. Let me ask you a question. What's keeping you from God today? What's keeping you from God today? Maybe it's your pride. I was going through pictures on my phone the other day, and I text Kim Selvig a picture of her baptism. It was like this weekend, three years ago. On that same day, Lucy got baptized, and I had a picture of Miss Lucy getting baptized on my phone. And I thought to myself, now you talk about somebody being willing to be humble. Here's Lucy three years ago, a member of our church for 
years and years and years, but it wasn't until three years ago that she finally came to faith in Christ. And after being a church member for years and years and years, she humbled herself, accepted Christ, and was willing to step into the waters of baptism to identify her faith in Christ. You know, it may be that the reason you're having trouble getting to God is because your pride is keeping you from admitting that maybe although you go to church and although you've done the best you can, you just don't know Jesus. Maybe you have unanswered questions. Maybe there are theological things or or practical things or what we would call um, apologetic things that maybe certain things don't line up about God in your mind. Maybe it's a relationship. I've seen people walk away from God because their husband or their wife didn't believe it and they struggled to accept and follow Christ. Maybe it's hardships. Maybe you're reconciling that the truth is God powerful, is God loving. If he is, why do I go through this? Maybe yours is wealth. Maybe the truth is you're here today and and you're well-to-do and you just don't really see that you need God. Or maybe worse, you're self-righteous. What's keeping you from God is that you actually think you don't need God. I'm here to tell you something this morning. It doesn't matter why you're staying away from God. The truth of the matter is any excuse of keeping you from God is a bad excuse this morning. Lost. You know, you can be baptized and be lost You can be confirmed and be lost. You can be in church and be lost. Come on. You can be a good person and be lost. You can teach classes and be lost. Good night. You can preach sermons and be lost. This isn't a question, do you go to church? Have you been baptized? Are you good? The question is, do you have Jesus or do you not? But let me tell you something, friend. There's something worse than being lost, if you can imagine that. It's being lost And nobody's looking for you. But I'm glad to announce to you this morning that was not the case with Zacchaeus. Because although Zacchaeus was lost, secondly, we learn Zacchaeus was sought or we were sought. Yes, Zacchaeus was lost, and yes, you are lost. But here's the good news. The good news is that although you are lost, and you may not know where you're going, and you may not know about your relationship with God, here's the good news. The good news is that while you were lost. Jesus has come looking for you. I remember several years ago, I was preaching at an event. In fact, I had just become a Christian. About a year later, I was in Bible college, and I went out on an evangelistic team the very next uh, summer. And I literally had been, I had been a Christian about uh, 11 months. And they sent me out preaching on this, this, this evangelistic tour. It was, it was, really, when I look back on it, I think it probably wasn't really that wise. But I did it. And I was in, I was in Georgia just outside of Atlanta, on the northwest side of Atlanta, preaching at a church. And, and, and at that same church, they had some people that were involved in the public uh, high school football program, and they were having football camp the very same week. And so they got an opportunity for us to go and invite all these public school football players and their coaches to come out to the event in the evening. And would you believe it, on the second night of the event, like three football teams showed up and their entire coaching staff. There were like 300 people, including the, it was crazy. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm getting ready to stand up here and preach tonight. And there are all these public school kids and all their coaches. I mean, there are so many unsaved people here tonight. And I stood up that night and preached the gospel and several people accepted Christ. But I'll never forget the man that accepted Christ has stuck out to me. This was now 20 years ago. 
was the football coach of the, uh, of the county football team there in rural North Georgia, just outside of the Atlanta metro area. And I remember he came to me after accepting Christ, and he looked at me with tears running down his face, and he said, Brian, I have been running from God all my life, and tonight I ran right into him. And I'm here to tell you, you may not even be looking for God today, but that's okay. The good news is God is looking for you. And in this passage, we see Jesus seeking out uh, uh, Zacchaeus in four different ways. Number one, he sought him out intentionally. Look at the first verse, if you will. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Oh, my word. It looked like Jesus was just passing through. It looked like Jesus was on his way somewhere else. But make no mistake about it, Jesus had every intention of going there to meet and talk to Zacchaeus by name. Just like when the Bible says in John 4, he must needs go to Samaria. And in John 4, the normal route for the Jews was to go around Samaria from Judea to, uh, to uh, Galilee. They would actually cross the Jordan River, go around Samaria because they hated the Samaritans that much. But the Bible says that Jesus went through Samaria. He didn't just go through Samaria because he wanted to take a shortcut. He wanted to go through Samaria because he knew there was going to be a woman at a well that needed him and he went and sought her out intentionally. Not only did he go intentionally for Zacchaeus, he went individually to Zacchaeus. Look if you will. Look if you will. The man's name was Zacchaeus and Jesus has not met him up to this point. Verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, I love it, Zacchaeus, individually. He called out his name. And I'm here to tell you that if you were here without Christ, listen to Jesus, call out your name this morning. Do you know that Jesus knows your name? He knows your situation. He knows where you are. He knows what you're going through. He knows what your questions are. Come on. He knows where you've been. He knows what you've done. He knows what your life is like. And he still comes and calls to you. Just hear your name this morning. He knows your name. Boy, he sure knew Abraham's name, didn't he? He called him out of the Urukati. He knew Moses' name. When he called him by the burning bush, he knew Peter's name. He knew John's name. He knew James's name as they were casting their nets into the Sea of Galilee. And he said, come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Come on. He knew Matthew's name. When Matthew was sitting at the receipt of customs, being a tax collector just like Zacchaeus was, and he says, Matthew, come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Oh, friend, I want you to know, he knew Saul's name. In Acts chapter number 9, when Saul was persecuting the church, and Jesus went after him, even after the resurrection, and said, Saul, Saul, hear your name this morning. I mean, I get great joy in thinking about the day in May of 1997 when God said, Brian, when God said Sarah, when God said Alan, when God said Angie, when God said Perry, when God said Wes, God calls you by name. I mean, folks, listen, if you were the only person in the world, Christ would have come and died for you. He loves you. And I get great joy in the word whosoever in the Bible. And when you say that word whosoever, it means everybody. My friends, see yourself snuggled up inside of the letter O in the word whosoever and know that God is calling your name today. 
He seeks us intentionally. He seeks us individually. He seeks us indiscriminately. I mean, think about this. Jesus now, in verse 5, says, Zacchaeus, come down. Come down quickly. For today, I'm coming to stay at your house. Jesus done invited himself to Zacchaeus' house. Now, what's intriguing about this to me is that's probably the first time this has ever happened. Because everybody hated Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a loser, at least to the people he lived around. Not only probably had nobody ever invited themselves into Zacchaeus' house, the truth of the matter is he may have invited other people and they just simply did not respond. Nobody liked Zacchaeus. You say, how do you know that? Well, look, look at the response. When, when Jesus shows up at his house, look at what they say in verse number 7. He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. That's the response of the world to Jesus-loving Zacchaeus. They complained about it. They couldn't believe What's he doing eating with a guy like this? What's he going, uh, going, going to somebody's house like this? Nobody loves Zacchaeus except for Jesus. I don't know about you, it may offend you to know how, how far Jesus is willing to go to rescue a sinner, but I got news for you. The only people that that would offend is people that don't know how much of a sinner they actually are. When I see that Jesus is willing to be a guest at my house, friend, I get encouragement from that because I got to tell you, just like that song we sing, when I sit at his table, I am right where I belong. How many are glad that Jesus was willing to be a guest at your house? How many of you are glad that Jesus was willing to be a guest at your sinful table? He was willing to sit down with you. He's willing to have a relationship with you indiscriminately. And finally, Christ calls you urgently, urgently. Look at what he says, make haste Zacchaeus and come down for, here's the word, today I must stay at your house. Friend, there is a call for salvation, it's an urgent call. You say, when should I become a Christian? You ready? Here's the answer, today. Today, Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 says, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 says, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Listen to me very carefully. Tomorrow is a date on a fool's calendar. And there's only one day to trust Christ as your Savior. Are you ready? It's today. It is now. He says, make haste. Come quickly. Let's go. Let's do this. And friend, I'm telling you here, if I could, I would beg you, I am begging you, I'm urging you, as Jesus is urging you today, it's time to go quickly. Run from where you are, run from what's going on, run from your questions, run from your religion, and run to Jesus and run to him right now. Christ calls him, he seeks him, he sought him, and he's seeking you. So number one, he was lost, we were lost. Number two, we were sought, he was sought. Number three, I love this, he was saved. He was saved. Well, I wish somebody would enjoy that word saved as much as I am this morning. Saved. He was saved. In fact, look at the assurance that Christ gives him. Today, salvation has come to your house. What a statement that Christ makes to him. That's a statement of assurance. So let me ask you this question because I think it's fitting here. Jesus said to Zacchaeus, today... I'm coming, and then when he got there, he said, today, salvation has come to your house. 
Well, I can't think of anything more reassuring than God himself telling you you're saved. My sheep hear my voice and know me and I know them and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My father, which is greater than me, gave them to me. And no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. That's assurance. In fact, 2 Timothy says, even if we do not believe he abides faithful, he cannot deny his own. Friend, I'm here to tell you that Jesus offers eternal life. It is not a I think so, hope so, wish so, I'd like to know kind of salvation. How many of you are glad today to know that with Jesus it can be a no-so salvation? This is why 1 John chapter 5 says this, These things I have written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know. Do you know? Do you know today that you have eternal life and not only did he receive assurances that he was saved he actually demonstrated that Christ had changed his heart back up if you will to verse number eight when Zacchaeus stands before the Lord in his house he says look Lord I have given or I will essentially what he says I'm going to give all half of my goods to the poor what a change and then he goes on to say If I have defrauded anyone, I will restore them times four. You know what that is? Evidence of conversion. Restoration, change of heart, willing to make reparations. I hate to admit it to you, but when I became a Christian in 1997, um, before that day, I had had better days. Since that day, I've had better days. But I'm not proud to admit that I was in a lot of trouble and got involved in a lot of things I shouldn't have done before I became a Christian. Yeah, hopefully that doesn't shock you. I didn't grow up a Christian. I didn't become a Christian when I was a kid. In fact, I didn't really remember learning the Zacchaeus, the wee little man song. I still, to this day, if you catch me at the wrong moment, I may have trouble spitting the books of the Bible out in order because I didn't grow up with it. I remember when I got saved and I heard a sermon on this passage of scripture and God got a hold of my heart and basically from the Bible spoke to me and said, you know what, that sounds a lot like you before you got saved. He said, why don't you go to where you had been dishonest and where you had stolen and when you had defrauded people, why don't you go back and make it right? I wish you could have been with me the summer of 1998 when I walked to Walmarts and sporting goods stores and convenience stores and walked up and said, hey, you probably don't know me, but my name is Brian. A couple years ago, I stole, as far as I can remember, I stole A, B, C, and D from you. And I'm here to pay you back or work it off, whatever works for you. And right after every single one of them picked their jaw up from the ground, thankfully they all said, well, you know, essentially something like this, it sounds like you learned your lesson Man, I'm happy for you. But I got to tell you, I was willing to do it. I was willing to make the phone call. I was willing to go. I was willing to make it right. Are you? Are you? It's an evidence of salvation. An evidence of salvation is I'm going to go fix whatever I have broken. Hey, thank God that God is willing to forgive. He sure does. But there should at least minimally be this heart that I'm going to take care of the things that I've wronged and I'm willing to repent 
And I'm willing to follow Jesus wherever it may lead me. And what a change came to this man's house that day. Yesterday on college game day, I saw a powerful story. A powerful story about a tight end from Michigan, University of Michigan's starting tight end named Eric All, A-L-L. On September 3rd, last Saturday, or two Saturdays ago, his life in some ways came full circle. On the same day, September 3rd, he had a child born. His, uh, I believe it's his girlfriend, had a baby, and they welcomed this child in on game day, Saturday morning. A new baby was born. On the same day, he was able to meet a man by the name of Tom Broyles. That same day, Tom came to see Michigan play football and to meet Eric for the first time in 21 years. Because in 2001, in the month of February, when Eric was only five months old, his house in Richmond, Indiana, caught fire. By the time the firefighters arrived, mom and dad had barely made it out of the house, but because of all the smoke and the fire that barricaded their stairway, they were unable to get up to the second-story bedroom where their five-month-old baby, Eric, was asleep. And they showed camera footage of the firefighters. Tom leading the way where those firefighters rushed on the scene and you literally see mom and dad in a frenzy pointing to the side of the house, pointing up to the second-story bedroom and see the firefighters lean that ladder up against the wall. Tom said, I climbed to the top. I was the first one in while they're showing the footage and he literally entered into a house that was an inferno. And when they slid that, when they actually had to break the window open, you immediately saw black smoke billowing out of that child's bedroom where he lay in his crib, hopeless and lifeless. They broke in and Tom said, I could not see a thing. The heat was almost so intense I could barely stand it through my firefighter equipment. Not being able to see because the room was filled with black smoke, he fumbled around until he bumped into a baby crib. And he reached down in the baby crib and he picked up Eric, five months old, they picked up his lifeless body. And on the video you can see as he comes out of the window and hands him to the next firefighter, little Eric is limp, laid over, head cocked back, not breathing. When they got to the bottom of the ladder, the firefighters immediately began to do CPR work. And in just a few seconds, the baby began to breathe again. And for 10 days, he was in the hospital. And thank God, with no lasting damage to his body, 21 years later, he is an all-big 10 tight end for the University of Michigan. And he got to meet the man that saved his life two Saturdays ago. And my friend, I got to tell you, I'm not a whole lot different than Eric All because there I was as a helpless person in a house of fire, unable to save myself. And thank God for the day that Jesus leaned that ladder of salvation against the wall of my, come on, my burning house and entered in to my disaster and rescued me. Rescued me. And if you're saved, friend, that's exactly what he did to you. And if you're not saved today, please listen carefully. Your house is on fire. 
whether you know it or not. And you better let the only one who can. If you're a five-year-old infant in a a room filled with smoke and a house is about to collapse, you can't save yourself. You need somebody to get to you. And that's Jesus. That's Jesus. And friend, I'm here to tell you, the good news is if your house is on fire, and it is, he's right here right now. The, The ladder's already out. And you came here this morning, it's almost like Jesus already leaned that ladder up against your house and said, I'm here, let's go. And he's calling out to you today by name and he's saying, hey, you need me. You're going to die without me. Your house is going to burn without me. Please welcome the only Savior into your heart and life so that you can be rescued. Let's pray today. As we bow for prayer, we have a few folks in the room that are members and leaders of our church, faithful men and women that know the Bible. They want to be a help to you. Maybe you're here today and you've come, but maybe you didn't even realize before you got here today how lost you are. Friend, that was me, 19 years old, 1997. Dunbar, West Virginia, my house was on fire and King Jesus entered into my house, fire rescued me. I don't know how old you are. I don't know if you're a boy, a girl, a teenager. I I don't know if you are single or married or divorced. I I don't know why you came here. You may not know why you came here. But I want you to know that Jesus loves you and he's ready to save you right here right now and how many of you would say preacher pray for me man I'm lost without God and I need Jesus in my life I need him to rescue me I need him to save me preacher pray for me would you pray for me I want to know Jesus I want to know that I'm saved I want to know that my life is secure I want to have assurance when I leave this place today that I know Christ. How many of you say, preacher, that's me. Would you pray for me? I'm lost without God and I need Jesus. Would you pray for me, preacher? If that's you right now, would you just slip up your hand? Would you do that for me? Just hold that hand right up and then just lower it right back down. God bless you. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Who else? Preacher, that's me. Pray for me. Lost without God. I don't know for certain that Jesus is my Savior. I do not know that heaven is my home, but I want to know. I want to know. Anybody else like that at all? Just raise that hand up real quick and then right back down. I'll pray for you. Lost without God. Lost without God, but I want to know Him. Let's stand to our feet as the worship team comes.